We all crave connection. At our core, we all want to feel loved and understood. Hi, I'm Nikhami, entrepreneur, founder, and CEO of my very own beauty brand, Carmela Cosmetics, and business consultant. This is We Are Women, Beauty Redefined, a podcast where women speak their truth and celebrate their victories. This podcast features different women whose names you probably recognize. You've seen them, been following them, and might even think that they've always had it together. Listen in to hear the women you know and love share their journeys with self-acceptance and self-love, discovering their unique beauty and confidence in a society that for so long has focused on exemplifying a specific beauty standard. It's a place where we'll learn about each other and ourselves, dive into important issues that affect us, discover all that we have in common, and make some memories. So pour yourself a glass of red and get comfortable. Every night is ladies' night on We Are Women, Beauty Redefined. When people hear about dietitians, they often associate them with food, which of course makes sense. But the truth is that our way of eating often stems from our relationship with our bodies, our body image. During this interview with dietitian Rachel Goodman, she gets deep into her own story, her journey with food. We discuss how, as we get older, our true selves start to dim, and part of the process in life is getting back to our childhood self, and what that has to do with our eating style. Rachel shares why she decided to become a dietitian, and her earliest memories of struggling with her body image. It's interesting how we think that professionals have it all together when it comes to the industry that they're serving, but as you'll soon hear, there was a time when Rachel struggled with imposter syndrome and binge eating. Rachel shares why diets don't work long-term and talks about what inspired her to delve into intuitive eating. I also asked Rachel how we can figure out if a normalized behavior is in fact disordered eating. So she offers some really great advice on that as well. Let's dive in. If I think of my younger self, I was, first thing that comes to mind is creative and it's still very much who I am today. Like I loved art and I loved acting. Well, as much as it goes into like, you know, in front of the bathroom mirror, like you act, you can be an actress. Like I was that kind of kid. Um, I'm pretty outgoing and friendly. I always loved food. Like as a dietitian, I understand picky eating and, you know, how, like I don't work, my, my clientele is not kids, but I kind of know, okay, here's what you need to do for picky eating and all of that. But as a person, I can't relate to that because I was the farthest thing from a picky eater. Like I was that kid who ate chicken feet and soup and liver and peaches and candy and cake and chicken. Like my mother never had any kind of picky eating issues with me um, because I was always liking like even weird stuff as a kid, like the whole range of things. Like I loved kind of exploring. Um, and then there's just like the typical stuff. I don't know, like thinking of, you know, amusement parks, being active. I definitely was more of, you know, I wasn't a shy kid, but I also wasn't overly bubbly or anything like that um and then I just you know it's just a general of like an outgoing more so creative kid I definitely was I think I was always had that laid-back quality about me where I could also be that kid watching videos for hours with no issue you know like I I remember days where I would like watch movies from like if we had a day off I literally could watch movies all day and just like chill out and not make my bed you know what I'm saying um and then today I can't do that as an adult like that like 
it kind of makes you nauseous. I don't know how I did that as a kid, right? Like you just sit when you watch a movie all day. I, I do compare it literally to binge eating sometimes because it's literally that like, ugh feeling after. Um, but, but overall, you know, I like new experiences, being creative. So much of who I am today, obviously I've evolved and changed and it's expressed in different ways. Um, Cause you know, things like just watching TV all day would not be a positive thing in my life right, right now, uh, nor do I want it. But I really think like I've evolved, but who I am today is still very true to who I've always been, which right. is like creative, liking to try new things, liking people, um, but also very much having that laid back quality as well. Yeah. Like your core self is still the same person, but you've evolved throughout the years, which is a good thing. Yeah. 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 I feel like, like what happens is, well, some people really evolve and change and they're so different from like when they were as a kid, right? Like they might be super shy and quiet and then they grow up to be these like very loud and like, you know, bubbly people or the opposite where I feel like for me, I, and this could also be true for many people where you're born as like your true self and you kind of like have those qualities. And then over time, um, whether it's your environment or the school you're in or culture, diet culture, like there's just so many reasons that kind of impact and almost like, I don't know if the right word is taint, but they start to dim your true self. Like I think of the society, like we see that with kids, they're so brutally honest and who they are till like they're three, four. And then, you know, the things trickle in from like parent expectation or our society. And then they start to think twice. And of course you should think twice, but don't, you know, just have verbal <laughs> diarrhea. But, you know what I'm saying? Like we should have tact and all of that, but our true selves start to dim very often. Um, and then I find at least in my thirties, like you go through your twenties, which is also still, you're figuring yourself out. Like we kind of see ourselves as adults in our twenties, but I don't really believe we're fully, fully adults till like, you know, like you're still, your brain is actually still developing until the age of 25. So at 19, it's funny. Cause at 19, I thought I knew everything. Like I, I know exactly what I want. And then it's like, you reach 27 and you're like, I don't even know what I want. Like, it's so crazy, <laughs> right? The more, you know, the more you don't know. Um, but I do find that, and maybe a lot of people can relate to this. You can tell me if you do, but you kind of have your true self and then you kind of get confused for a while till you figure it out, especially with like your environment and society and all that telling you what you should be and what you should do. And then hopefully if, if you're lucky, you kind of take time to get to really reconnect with yourself and really crave. I think most people crave just being authentic and feeling confident in their own skin. And, you know, whether it's they're trapped in diet culture or something else. And for me, I feel like it's almost like come full circle, obviously in a different way. And it's so like layered and nuanced. Um, but that's why I say, I think so much of who I am today is still true to who I was as a kid except that I've had to come full circle to it to be able to really see that and embrace that um, and fully, you know, I'm still on the journey, right? Like there's always layers to peel back, but kind of to fully get to that place and recognizing like, oh my gosh, like this is who I truly am. And I'm going to actually let, like, let myself embrace that for the good or bad. Um, so when you ask me that question, that's why I just feel so connected to so much of my younger self, because I realize, yeah, I've kind of come full circle in that was always truly who I am. And it's almost like in recent years, I feel like I'm coming home to that, but in a very empowering, like adult way. Does that all make sense? 
Yes, for sure. I mean, I think we all have, well, first of all, it's totally true what you're saying in regards to society's expectations that it influences the way that we behave, the way even sometimes, you know, our future decisions in regards to career and what we do within the career and, you know, et cetera. Um, but when we get to that healthy place, hope, which hopefully we, we do, it's, it's all about authenticity. And that's, that's really what I think inspires us to continue in whatever way that we're going um, from that authenticity, from the place of authenticity, in my opinion. So, yeah. Absolutely. And what's so amazing is that, you know, we're born with that authenticity. And what's sad about it is that so often we lose it. We have yes. to reclaim it. And it's really, if you go back to your, it's inner, I mean, inner child, I feel like it's such a, <laughs> it's like a, a buzzword, a trendy bit. word right yeah, now, yeah. right? Like inner child healing, all that. And it could just sound so cliche and like cringy, but when you really do the work and understand it and like, just really just understanding yourself and coming full circle to that, you realize that our authenticity is truly our inner child, obviously with the maturity of an adult. Right. Um, but it's, it really feels like coming home. I feel like we went real deep on that question, like really quick. <laughs> I know, totally, totally. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's all about, I mean, I think what you're saying to me, it sounds like what you're saying is, you know, kind of going back to that inner child um, in a healthy way, really, you know, like finding that because we lose it, you know, mm-hmm. um, throughout the year. So for sure. I mean, unfortunately, most people do lose it, I feel like, right. And then you find yourself yeah. and you go back. Um, but let's, let's kind of like go towards, you know, that the dietitian aspect, because I I'm sure that has a lot to do with this discussion. Um, so what, what was your journey? Like what inspired you to become a dietitian? First of all, my love of food, as I said, like, I've always been someone who just like loves food, just genuinely just loves eating. Honestly, like I was that kid that just like it was almost like a running joke in my family, not in a detrimental way, but in just like, you know, oh, Rach is like, you know, she's going to eat that because she likes it. Oh, you don't want that? Ask her if she wants it. But again, not like, I think there's definitely times where it can be damaging if it's set in the wrong tone or way. But I always took it as like, yeah, I like to eat. You know, um, there were other things in terms of diet culture that definitely messed up my relationship with food, but not that, but basically my love of food. I was originally actually going to go to culinary school when I was thinking of like what to do. So I was going to apply to this culinary program, um, but I missed the deadline. And so I'm like, okay, well then let me try being, let me try learning um, uh, to be a dietitian. Like, let me just give it a, a go and try and go to college. Cause honestly, I think maybe some people will be surprised to hear this. Like I never had plans to go to college growing up. Like that just wasn't, I don't know. I don't know. It was just like not a thing for me, like that I have to go to college. And I almost kind of ended up going because I'm like, well, I want to do something. I I need some stimulation. I need some like more purpose. So culinary school didn't like I missed the deadline. Let me just apply for a semester. Give it a try. See if I like it. We'll see how it goes. And then here we are, like how many years later? I don't know, 10 years. (laughs) Um, you know, and I'm so grateful. So, so grateful for that. Um, but originally it was, it started off with my love of food, but I did go to learn to be a dietitian because my love of food also then evolved into a love-hate relationship with food, with dieting, negative body image. I was such a big binge eater, you know, like, and it was like, so often it's closeted and it's just like so much shame, right? So no one's around in the kitchen and you're like literally inhaling a half a box of cookies. You feel sick and gross. And then there's the shame of like, oh my God, people found out or saw this. And, you know, I really wanted to just resolve my issues with food. And at the time, really resolving my issues with food was attached to issues with weight. 
So I started off going to college being like, okay, if I like thinking, okay, I'm passionate about nutrition. I really like the science of it. So in high school, although it wasn't a positive impact, um, reading all these diet books, part of me also really loved reading science and reading like, oh, this is so cool. This is what carrots do. And I was like that, you know, sorry, not sorry. But I was just like that annoying person when, you know, you go to seminary for a year in Israel and, um, you know, we'd have like just different foods and whatever. And I'd be like that person at the table. Did you know that carrots do X, Y, Z? And how cool is it? Like, I just not only loved food, but I really thought the whole aspect of like the science and the health and the nutrition, even though so much of it was coming from that culture and ultimately leading me to a negative place. I will say there was that positivity of, I generally like loved it and thought it was cool, except I didn't have it in a healthy context. Mm -hmm. So I decided to go to college for that reason. I'm like, let me just figure this out for myself. Plus I love food. Plus I love science. So it just all made sense to me. And then I could also help other people figure it out if I can do that. So that was kind of my mindset going into to learning to be a dietitian. And then there's like the whole journey of what happened as a student and how I became, I actually became a dietitian and then how I changed to do eating. I don't know how much of that story you want to hear because you let me know. <laughs> yeah, no, I would love to hear about your, your own struggles. Like how did that start? Why did it start in your opinion? And like how you kind of managed to, to work on and your eating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the earliest memory I have of like any kind of struggle, it starts with body image. So the first thought that I had was, I don't like my body. And um, that's where diet thoughts and food started to come from. And I think it's so true for most people. Like if you think about it, you know, if you didn't have a negative body image and you were okay with your body or you were told your body is okay, then you probably wouldn't have, you know, created or um, what's the word? These food, the food issues wouldn't be there because they stem from the body image issues, which is why when I work with clients, it is so essential for them to be ready and willing to work on body image because they need to recognize and whoever's listening, you know, to really recognize that that is where the problem stems from and really needing to, you know, being willing to see, hey, focusing on my weight until now has not led me to where I want to be. And the solution to resolving that is, and I'm not saying it's easy, but in order to have a healthy relationship with food, you really need to be willing to work on healing your body image. And so for me, definitely it started with body image. I mean, the earliest memory I have of like feeling negative about my body, not in a hardcore way, but just having an awareness that my body's not the way that it should be, or I want it to be was like, I was probably was five and I was watching the little mermaid and she's, you know, all Disney princesses. I think it's it's such a big issue. And it's actually getting worse, unfortunately. I mean, people get frozen and you just get thinner and thinner. Yeah. Um, it's just insane. Sure. So, so, so let's say Ariel, right? Like I remember thinking like, I want to look like her from the hair to like the body. Yeah, I mean, sure. minus the fish scales. <laughs> um, but, but I remember at five years old, like it registered that I don't look like her. And I want to, and that was probably the first awareness I had of body, body image. It wasn't like necessarily detrimental, but it definitely planted seeds. And then, you know, as time things kind of pile on, you know, when I was in fourth grade, I remember um, the girls, which is so ridiculous that nine-year-olds are talking about this, but all the girls in the class were say saying out loud their weight. 
And everyone was like, oh my God, you ate so little? What? Like they were admiring the girl who was the thin, I remember. And I remember who this girl is actually. It's so crazy what you remember as a kid. Everyone was saying their numbers. And I clearly remember the girl who had this lowest number. And they, of course, as kids, you don't even take into context height, you know, body right. composition, bones and all that. But everyone was like, oh my God, you weigh so little, wow. And then I remember when I said my number, which I didn't think too much of it, but I just knew the number because I had just been at a well visit and the doctor had said the number out loud. Um, there was a girl who like looked at me, she's like, oh my gosh, you weigh that much? And then she like looks me up and down. It's like, yeah, yeah, you weigh that much. Like, but in a, it's the, it's the way people say things, right? And then like it registered to me like, oh, that's bad. Like, and then you have these feelings of shame and you don't even know why. And these are nine-year-olds who have no context to anything. And we're getting it from somewhere, whether it's from our parents or from the media or things like that. So yeah, that for me probably like was the, the, the buildup of it. it. It didn't like combust or anything till probably, I mean, when I combust, like, thank God I've never developed, like it, I'm not genetically prone to an eating disorder. Um, so you know, it didn't it didn't turn to something very severe or serious, but it could have. And I remember in eleventh, not eleventh grade, when I was eleven years old, in sixth grade was when I kind of put two and two together with like calories in, calories out, and that whole diet culture mentality. Even though a kid should never be on a diet, and this so I want anyone who's listening to this, like especially if you're a parent, it is normal and healthy for your kids to put on weight when they're going through puberty you know there's hormone production there's all of that and yeah some kids will be um you know fuller or bigger um but in most situations it's like you're just teaching them healthy habits and a healthy relationship with food with time they will reach their their healthy weight when they're adults whatever it's meant to be versus sending a kid off to i mean my mom never sent me to off on a diet at 11 years old I, that was all of my own doing <laughs> um but even so like encouraging that in kids is actually gonna just create bigger problems in the long run and bigger weight problems as well in the long run so when I was 11 that was when I kind of put two and two together and I was like I went on kind of what you would consider a diet although I didn't consider a diet at the time and I'm like you know I'm gonna cut out recess snacks and then I'll lose weight so I don't know where I picked it up but somewhere I did where eating less equals weight loss which a kid should never be not eating enough, but it quote unquote worked. And um, I didn't feel it did, but I started getting compliments from people of like, oh, you lost weight, you look great. And mind you, these compliments were coming from 13 year olds. So, <laughs> you know, it wasn't even like adults, it's like your social surrounding, but it's crazy that children are so steeped in this culture as well. And again, they're getting it from either our parents or the media, they're getting it from adults basically right? They don't just pull it out of thin air. So, um, so that was the beginning of that. And probably also I was growing taller. So it's also possible that I just thinned out because I was growing taller and not so much to do with that. Um, but that was my earliest memory of like actually, you know, dieting behavior. And then my gosh, we can be here for like three hours talking about all the things that I did. I mean, there was, I'll date, like, you're totally, I'm totally dating myself. Like I did Atkins and South Beach. Like that was my time. There were girls in my grade doing cabbage soup where they literally just having cabbage soup for 10 days. Um, Girls were like the, the cool, I don't know. I don't know if it was the cool thing, but like eating apples for recess was a thing. 
um, in high school. Like there would be boxes of boxes and literally half the class would be like munching on an apple. We're <laughs> laughing about this because looking back, it's so ridiculous, but it's it's terrifying really because yeah, you just yeah. don't know what people are going through and how unhealthy it is. And parents are even like telling kids like, oh, you're being so healthy. Great, you're eating an apple. Um, you know, and there was a time, I remember one time after Prim, that was like in 10th grade and I had really binge like Purim was like really one of the worst for me like you know just so much candy and food and oh my gosh um so I would just like eat till I was sick and then I remember the next day I'm like I need a detox and I, I might have been like 15 or 16 at that point and I'm like I'm only gonna eat apple for the whole day and I literally I was starving the whole day but like my mindset was willpower well, look, it's, and and this is just so unhealthy and dangerous and I, I keep saying to myself like thank god that didn't trigger like anorexia or something yeah. I literally had one apple that entire day and then that didn't that didn't last and I kept I, I mean I struggled with binge eating um which is also very unhealthy but the point is we can go on and on but um definitely it was something that I think started with body image and um it just went from one diet to the next to the next. I think it's very like almost classic story that people relate to of like trying one thing after the other after the other. And no one's telling you that it's a problem. No one's telling you like this is unhealthy. So many people are encouraging it, which makes it so much more toxic and crazy. And I don't think these are malicious people. You know what I mean? Right, for sure. Even yeah. like I witnessed my mom being on a diet or like she even was trying to help me and gave me like a Richard. Have you ever heard of Richard Simmons? Yes. Why have I heard of him? <laughs> he kind of does like a similar to Weight Watchers program. Okay. So I remember my mother gave me like out of love and care. She's like, read his book. It's so inspiring. And maybe it'll help you because I drove her crazy. Like literally every day of high school, I was like, did I gain weight? Did I lose weight? Da, 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 da. Like, like also on the other end, you know, when you're constantly, constantly body checking and like, it's not just me. It's like, I'm constantly asking her and she didn't even, she was already probably like, oh my God, what do I she, she won't stop, you know? Um, and so she gave this book to me as like inspiration, um, from a place of love. Right. So sometimes, and I love my mom, we have a great relationship, all of that. Um, I don't blame her in like the slightest. I don't think saying how your parents might have contributed to things means that your parents were bad parents. It's just recognizing that, you know, yeah. Even myself, like as a parent now, I'm always thinking like, what are my kids going to grow up and say about me? What am I going to have to apologize for? But I know that I'm doing my best that I can right now, right? Um, And so my point is, is that so much of what's normalized is actually so unhealthy. And the first step is to be aware of that, not just for yourself, but for your kids so you can stop that cycle. So for me, yeah, again, I almost feel like it's like this, unfortunately, a classic story of starting with body image having, you know, these dieting behaviors reinforced by peers, whether it's extreme or just like small calorie cutting, um, or, you know, something that seems wholesome and balanced, but requires you to stop eating after 8 PM, right? Like all these things. Um, and so it was really like a struggle for years and years and years until I decided to go to college, which it still was a struggle when I was in college. Um, a little bit different because I did learn what balanced eating was, except, I still had the binges happening on top of that. So at least I knew what balanced eating healthy was, but because the weight aspect of things was not something I had worked on in terms of body image, and I still had it for the purpose of weight loss, um, I still struggled because in my mind, it's like, okay, I ate healthy, all that, but you can't have this, you can't have this, like stay on track so you don't gain weight. And then 
that's mental restriction, which we can go into like kind of the mechanisms of that. Um, so then there was me being a nutrition student, actually learned to be a dietitian, people seeing me eat healthy, getting all these comments. I'm like, oh, Rich, like you're the healthy eater or like, look, you bring all your healthy snacks. And you're getting all this like, you know, praise for it, which just feels even more shame and horror when you're like the nutrition student learning to be a dietitian, having like, you know, this reputation of healthy eater and knowing how to eat healthy. And then meanwhile, I would mix myself like, I'll never forget, I, I mixed myself like um, a Duncan Hines brownie mix just to eat the batter raw. Cause let's face it, raw batter just tastes better than, <laughs> do you agree? Yeah, totally. So, you know, there I would be like literally mixing myself a pack of Duncan Hines brownies and eating the batter raw, feeling completely out of control and thinking like, oh my God, here I am learning to help other people. And I am such a fraud and there was so much like guilt and shame. Um, so going to college definitely like, you know, I learned a lot and I definitely learned how to be a more balanced eater and know how to like set up your plate to feel good and nourished and all of that. But the binge eating piece was still present in, and I did not know at the time, like, okay, what, like, what, why, what, like, here I am, I should know it was even worse because here I am as a, a nutrition student learning to be a dietitian, like I should know how to figure it out. I went to college to learn this. So what's like what's wrong with you kind of thing um and with time it did resolve before I learned about intuitive eating and started to resolve to an extent um because I think I just started to have a healthy relationship with my body especially like when I met my husband and got married um I think that was a big turning point for me because meeting my husband really made me realize like the, the a relationship and attraction and all that is really so much more than I mean I could speak for my relationship I know you know everyone has different relationships and there are those that are are not the same right um, and every guy is also different um, but I think for me it was a turning point because in my relationship I realized like actually not every guy demands of you to be a Victoria's Secrets model and you know they the personality does matter and chemistry is, of course, you know, you need to have, you need to have physical, physical attraction, um, but chemistry in a relationship also goes beyond that. And I still did struggle with body image, but I remember making a commitment to myself. Like when I met my husband and got married, I was like, I just don't want this body image thing to be part of our conversation. And everyone's different. Like some people in their relationship, they find it super helpful to talk it through with their spouse. And I encourage that if that helps, because I work with all different kinds of kind of clients and all different types of spouses that they have. Um, so for some people, it's helpful for them to express how they feel or their insecurities with their spouse. And I encourage that. So this is my personal story. I'm not saying anyone should do things exactly like yeah. I do, of course. Um, I would never, I would never do that. Um, but for me, I remember, like I said, I had asked, I would drive my mom nuts about like size and how I look and am I okay? And did I gain weight? Did I don't lose weight. And I just didn't want that to be part of my relationship with my husband. Um, and so I made a commitment to myself that I'm just not giving it a voice anymore. Uh, like even when I think it, I'm gonna think it and I'm not gonna let it just become this like all encompassing thing. And again, it works differently for different people. Some people, if they don't get, express it and don't talk about it, it festers, it gets worse. Um, so don't do that if that's you. For me, not giving a voice was dimming, was dimming it. I still had ways to go to work on body image. For sure. I mean, you know, it was still a journey and I learned about intuitive eating 
um, and trained in it and applied it to myself and then with clients after I had my second kid. So it was still a while and there were still tears and binges that happened. Um, but for me, I think it was helpful to not obsess about it in the sense where I didn't like as much as it took up my thoughts, I made a commitment that I'm not going to let this just hijack my life and need to just talk about it endlessly. That's what worked for me. I know it doesn't work for a lot of other people, depending on where they're at. Um, and also keep in mind that I was learning to be a dietitian, did become a dietitian, and I learned about intuitive eating. So everyone's individual. Um, but that was kind of my, my journey. Um, and things kind of with food did feel more balanced for a while when I got married and with my kid. Binges still happened, but not like when I was a teenager. Body image issues were still a struggle, but not as much as... Um, but not as a teenager, I'm in my young 20s. And then the biggest turning point where like real healing happened and real peace happened was when I, after I had my second kid um, and I learned about intuitive eating because funny enough, my friend, um, I have a colleague who also was learning to be a dietitian and we kind of had the same like uh, parallel like life. It, it was weird. Like we were at the same stage doing the same thing, having the same struggles, both of us after our second kids, both of us struggling with like, wait, like with friends, that's the thing with friends. I would kind of commiserate quote unquote about dieting and body weight. So it was still, it's not like I didn't talk about it all. And I suppressed it. I just didn't bring it into my marriage. Um, but I did definitely still talk about it with my dietitian friends, which by the way, you'd be surprised how much disordered eating happens amongst dietitians and how much of these conversations we have, which is like, it's so crazy. That's how normalized it is. Um, and so, and that's why I think it's so important that like from the, from like the top, you know, the professionals really take time to assess their relationship with food. Cause sometimes you'll see a professional credential professional, even a dietitian on Instagram, you know, I'm not pinpointing to, you know, naming names or anything like that, but you know, they'll, they'll be promoting weight loss and there'll be all this clean eating and stuff like that. And, you know, they're a credential, they're a dietitian, but then they, even themselves after a while, suddenly you'll be like, oh, they transitioned. They're no longer like promoting weight loss. Oh, how come? And then they'll say themselves, like at the time I had my own disorder eating and I didn't even see it because I was so like so invested in, in that. Um, so sometimes you'll see a, a credentialed professional promoting disordered eating and they're so invested in, in promoting that, first of all. And they're so unaware and they don't see how disordered it is that they're not willing to even listen. And they'll say like, no, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a dietitian and this is healthy and this is what we should do when really they're promoting their own disordered eating thoughts and ideas. Um, yeah. And so that just came up because I, I'm just thinking about all the conversations as a dietitian, like in my career, in my internship, some conversations that I think back on as dietitians, I'm like, man, we all had disordered eating. That's insane. Um, and we weren't even aware of it because it was like praise. It's like, oh, you're being so healthy. And it's just like almost this like elitism about it. Yeah. Which, you know, food should never be about, health should never be about, you know, how morally good you are. It should be about how good you feel and taking care of yourself, but it doesn't make you a superior person to other people, you know? Yeah. Um, sure. I think this is a great, a great time for an opening in regards to how did you and your peers, you know, figure out, become aware of the disordered eating? And then also let's like, you know, extend that to your clients. How do they realize, you mm. know what I mean? Great question. 
I think first and foremost, becoming a dietitian did benefit me a lot in disordered eating because I, what I will say about learning to be a dietitian is that you do learn what balance is. There's still disordered eating and stuff like that, but you do learn what balance is and you do learn to reject fad and extreme dieting and see that as red flags. So even as a dietitian, like that was already, I think, healing as much as I still struggled and felt like a fraud sometimes with binge eating it did help me in rejecting any extreme. So even when I became a dietitian in the very beginning, when I wasn't doing intuitive eating approach, I, even when I had clients coming to me for weight loss, I never, ever cut out a food group for them. I never put them on like a crazy low calorie diet. I always made sure that they're not hungry and like eating enough. Um, and so I think as a dietitian, well, most dietitians, like it was helpful in dietitians for, for the most part, don't do fad diets or anything extreme. Um, and that was helpful for me to learn. So that was, I think the first step, um, that helped me. And I didn't learn what like balanced eating is like, you know, understanding protein and carbs and fat and why we need all of them and how to combine them to feel your best. So definitely that was helpful. That was like step one, I would say. The other thing um, that helped me was, so that was like step one. And then I graduated, got my, you know, did my exam, became a registered dietitian. Um, the next thing was when I had my second kid is when I learned about intuitive eating and it kind of came full circle because I was already implementing some of the intuitive eating principles without knowing. And that's why, you know, that's what I say about intuitive eating. It's, it's, it's really how we're born eating. And you, so many people discover it without officially calling it intuitive eating. So I think a big turning point, actually, I missed this, was um, I rejected, I started to reject extreme dieting when I was 19, actually, when I came back from Israel. That was my first awareness that diets don't work. I didn't fully understand what constitutes a diet, but I knew that every time I thought of extreme restriction or a diet, I just wanted to eat everything. Later, I understood the mechanism of it. Today, as a dietitian, I understand physiologically and psychologically what happens. But at 19, it was the first awareness of, oh my God, every time I think of diet, I want to just freaking eat everything. So I'm not on a diet, except I was because I wanted to lose weight. That was my whole goal. But I just told myself, I'm going to eat when I'm hungry and I'm going to stop when I'm full, which are intuitive eating principles. Um, and I'm not worried because like all these foods that I want, they'll still be there later. So it was kind of like this psychological tricking of, you do have the foods available, but you can't eat them now. So it worked for a while, but again, it didn't work long-term because I turned intuitive eating concepts into a diet. Mm -hmm. So I still ended up struggling with like binge eating and disordered behaviors. And it kind of was like an on and off of like me eating what you would call balance and binge eating. Yeah. So even though I was like eating enough in that phase of my life, I had mental restriction. So a lot of people will be like, well, Rachel, I'm eating enough. So like why am I still binge eating? It's like, because your mindset around food is what needs to be addressed right now. Um, and so that was also like a really big turning point. So at 19, I kind of had that awareness just on my own. Being a dietitian definitely helped me understand what balanced eating is and just like, you know, health, different conditions, diabetes, all those things, reject the extreme aspect of things. But it's sometimes just those little things of like mindset, as it relates to weight, it keeps coming back to body image. Like as long as you don't do yeah. that work, you're still not really at peace with food because you still see it as the enemy of like, well, if I eat this, I'm going to gain weight. Um, and then that kind of like triggers all in our mentality. And then you binge eat and then you do gain weight and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And then it just becomes a mess and you don't even know where to start. 
Um, so that was helpful. And then when I had my second daughter, um, is when I learned about intuitive eating, which goes back to my colleague that I was talking about. She had read the book first and she said, oh my gosh, you have to read this. It's so amazing. Cause we were struggling kind of with the same thing. We were both postpartum after a second kid, we're back to baby weight, quote unquote. Um, and then after reading that book, um, I was like, you know what? Like, I'm just, I'm just letting go of this whole baby weight, like losing the baby weight kind of thing. Cause I was for a while, like trying to focus on that. And honestly, I think I was so primed for it at that point that it wasn't such a huge, long journey for me to like embrace intuitive eating when I learned about it, because for the years prior, like little by little, I was already kind of implementing it and understanding that there's more to it, especially because I did have clients. Um, and this is what really solidified so much of what intuitive eating says and really was like made so much sense in that I'd have clients who would be eating very balanced. They'd be eating enough. They'd be eating nourishing foods. They weren't out of control. Um, and they'd come in and they wouldn't lose weight. And they'd get so frustrated. And I just would feel like, one, I would feel like a failure too for them. I'm like, well, I'm, do I'm doing all the right things. Why aren't they losing weight? Like, am I the problem here? They're coming to me for these results. And then they would feel failure on themselves. Cause like, why aren't they losing weight? Even though they're doing everything right, right? They're eating balanced. They're honoring their hunger. They're, you know, not going out of control with food or anything. Like you would really look at their, you know, food journal and be like, this is super balanced. Yeah. Um, and it really added up with what I learned about body diversity and that some clients wouldn't lose weight when they're eating balanced because that's where their set weight point is. But those clients weren't ready to hear that because they came to me for weight loss. And so they, the cycle would continue and then they would get frustrated. They're not losing weight. So like, forget it. Let's sabotage and now let's binge and let's eat all the things. And all comes back to weight and body image. So how, how do those clients lose weight though, if they want to lose weight? Um, if they want to lose weight and yeah. they're at their set weight point, yeah, they'd have to fight their body. So for example, if someone is eating what you call normally, they're eating when they're hungry, they're stopping when they're full for the most part, right? We overeat sometimes that's not going to impact your weight in a significant way at all. Um, because a lot of people don't know is that also your body is not looking to gain weight for no reason. So your body will actually find mechanisms to keep you at a stable weight. So if you overeat one day, if you notice, sometimes the next day you're not as hungry, um, you know, and you're, there was a study with rats, not on humans, but it was on rats that when they overate, their metabolism actually revved up by 15% trying to keep a homeostasis of weight. So we talk a lot about the body not wanting to be underweight, which has stronger mechanism because that's more of a survival risk because you're depleting storage. Um, but the body also has mechanisms of not wanting to put on weight for no reason. It's just not as strong because it's not like a survival risk to have extra storage. Um, but what would happen is if someone is eating alignment with their body, eating enough, eating a variety of foods, not feeling guilty, but also not feeling out of control, what you'd call normal eating and they're not losing weight, probably it's because their body's comfortable and at their set weight point and saying, Hey, we're safe here. We're healthy here. But sometimes people's their ideal in their mind and what they want to be doesn't add up to what they actually are. And that's where the food issues, you know, happen where they're going to fight their body. Now they're going to try to will their body mm -hmm. to a size that it's never meant to be. They're going to start under eating, which then Backlashes usually with binge eating, which fuels guilt, which fuels food rules, which fuels stress, which fuels 
like skipping social events and trying to get it under control. And the more you try to control food, the more out of control you feel. And it just spirals if you're not realizing what you're doing. And it typically also leads to eventually weight gain. So a lot of times dieting is a predictor of weight gain. So they might start off a certain weight where it's their healthy weight, but it doesn't match up to what they want to be. So they'll do all these, like, you know, they'll try to cut, you know, a lot of calories um, or cut out a food group or just try all these different ways to fight their body and be at a lower weight. They might lose weight for a while, but it's not the weight the body wants to be. So you have all these mechanisms fighting them to drive them to eat. And then the, the binge eating saga ensues, they gain the weight back and then some, and then they do it again, they lose and then they gain it back and then some. And then five, 10, 15 years later, they're like four sizes bigger than they were to begin with. And their bodies now, okay, now we feel safe at this weight because you've made us feel unsafe with all this crazy dieting. When if they wouldn't have dieted to begin with, they might've just stayed at the weight that they were before. It might not have been what they wanted it to be, but they would have stayed at that weight, very maintain it very easily because they're in alignment with their body. So a lot of people don't realize by pursuing dieting, you're pretty much like pursuing weight gain in the long run. But people don't see that because all these dieting that are marketed is like before and after pictures and they see the short term. Like if you go to these websites, I haven't found a single website that shows a before and after picture that's five year difference. Right. And if you do, you see in like that little small print results, not typical. Yeah, yeah. Everyone ignores, right? Um, and so we really have to keep a picture on like the long run of health and have a conversation about body image when we're talking about a healthy relationship with food and just overall healthy life and understanding body diversity. And there's just so many, I mean, we can have five, a five series podcast on this. Yeah, for there's sure, for so sure. Many mechanisms that can contribute to like body size, weight gain. I mean, it's true that people who like, if you overeat constantly and binge eat, then that's extra fat, like extra storage, which will then be stored as fat. Um, right. There's truth to that, but there's also, you know, people who are just naturally at a bigger body size or have a medical condition or, you know, genetic diversities, and you don't know which it is right at the end of the day, what you want to do, what you want to focus on is eating in a way that feels best to you, that serves you best, knowing that your, your body's already fighting to be at a certain size and fighting it is typically leads you to a more negative place. So instead, can we focus on healing your body image, kind of unlearning so much of what society teaches you, which is so hard, um, but your body's already at a weight that it wants to be. Your job is to care for your body. Your responsibility is to know what feels best to your body and have a healthy relationship with food. And then some people, as a result, by healing the relationship with food, by default, maybe their body wanted to lose weight the whole time. And the weight will just kind of come off probably very, very gradually because any quick weight loss is a sign of, you know, probably unhealthy weight loss. Um, and so some people might gradually lose weight as a result, but that wasn't the goal. It was like a default. Some people won't lose weight. That doesn't mean they're doing anything wrong. It means that their body just now feels safe, especially if they have a chronic history of dieting. And some people, especially if they were under eating, what's healthy for them is to gain weight. So we can't really know which direction it's going to go. What we can control is, hey, can we focus on having a healthy relationship with food and eating way that feels best to you, which can feel overwhelming for someone who's been in the dieting cycle for years. And it's like, oh my God, where do I even start? Um, but that's kind of the long way to answer the the weight question, I think. that you Yeah, have. yeah, for sure. So, you know, we, we got so used to seeing things, um, behaviors that are considered really toxic on social media, but we don't, we don't realize that it's toxic. 
So um, could you share some normalized behaviors regarding food that's actually considered disordered eating? Yes. And I think what we need to understand here is also context because two people can have the same behavior. One will be disordered, one won't, depending on the intention. And one example I like to give is um, the whole like swapping bread for pepper and being like, oh, here's a keto approved sandwich. And it's like, girl, that's a handheld salad. Like what delusional planet are we living on that we're calling pepper bread? Like do not be insulting. Like, I'm sorry. I love bread. I'm going to defend it. Like, do not, do not like say that bread is peppers. Peppers is great too. Right. So what's disordered. And I'll tell you the difference between disordered and like authentic health is saying, okay, um, I'm going to replace bread with peppers and call it a sandwich. And this is because I'm trying to be good and because it's going to help me lose weight and because I'm being on a plan and I'm not allowed to have bread and bread is bad on this whole narrative that's disordered. That creates stress. That creates, you know, demonizing bread, demonizing carbs, not actually understanding how carbs work in the body, but it wouldn't be disordered. Let's say if someone's like, I'm really craving, like, you know, I haven't had vegetable in like a day or two. It's going to feel really good and refreshing. You know what having, um, and you know, maybe they had a lot of carbs the day before and it's not about compensating. It's just, they just feel heavy and they just need something light and refreshing. And I'm like, you know what? Peppers, like tuna on peppers just sounds so much more refreshing and delicious and just a creative way to have vegetables than with bread. So I'm just going to have my tuna with peppers today and skip the bread because it's just going to feel good or saying, you know, I'm going to have a sandwich with peppers and tomatoes and tuna in it and still have my carbs. That's okay too, right? We don't have to go to the opposite extreme of like cutting out bread. And it's not necessarily cutting out bread for the whole day. Like maybe it's, I'm not gonna have bread with lunch because it just doesn't feel so good. I'm gonna have like a refreshing salad and I'll have like my potatoes in the evening, right? It's not like this like um, polarizing extreme kind of way of thinking. And so here you have two people, one's having tuna with peppers and you know, two people who are having tuna with peppers One's having it because she's stressing out. If she has bread, she's being fat. It's going to be fattening and it's, it's going to make her gain weight. And she doesn't want to gain weight because, you know, there's a whole body image stuff to work through and she's feeling deprived, but she's going to be strong. And as I'm talking, I mean, I feel like the stress rising. I don't know about you. <laughs> uh, right. And it's like, yeah, she's, she's so bad and she's sticking to the plan. It's just like so much more realistic food rules and noise around it. The other person, you know, sitting right next to her is having peppers and tuna. It's like, oh my God, this is so crunchy. This is so refreshing. Like I can have bread tomorrow if I want to. This is just feeling good right now. I wanted like a creative way to get vegetables. That's not disordered. So I think when we talk about disordered eating, some things are like very red flag obvious. Like if you're, if you're having 1200 calories, that is, doesn't matter what context. If you're not a toddler, if you're an adult eating 1200 calories, that is disordered. That's like, I wouldn't say there's much room for like nuance and context there. That's very clear. But when it comes to, let's say food choices, it really, it's, it's context. Like one person can be disordered, one not. Same thing, like if someone has celiac disease and they're saying like, hey, when I have bread, that's gluten bread, as much as I love it, I just feel indigestion and not good. So, you know, I'm going to have gluten-free bread or, you know what, I, I'm just not in the mood of bread today. So I'm not going to have that. Like, that's okay. You can get creative with vegetables. You can have like the zoodles, as long as you're not trying to convince yourself it's actual pasta <laughs> being creative with, with zucchini noodles, right? Like I had a client who was like, I had pasta one day. And then the next day I genuinely just wanted vegetables and I genuinely wanted the zucchini noodles. And I was shocked because the only time I ever wanted like had zucchini noodles because I was forced to, because I was on a diet. And here I just naturally wanted a fun way to have vegetables. And that's cool. So I think when we're talking about disordered eating, some things are very obvious 
that some things are really about intention because diet culture doesn't own nutrition. Diet culture doesn't own creativity with vegetables or feeling good or meal planning. It's all about, I think that's what's so important and one big misconception with intuitive eating when people see it. It's like, oh, just eating whatever and like eating chocolate and cake and pizza. I mean, forget, it's like, wait, how are you going to feel eating that all day? Yeah. It's, you know, you have permission to do that, but you're probably not going to feel good. And also it doesn't mean that, you know, intuitive eating cares about nutrition and cares about health. It's really about the context and your mindset going into it. You absolutely can make intentional choices with salad or nutrition or swaps or things like that, as long as the place is coming from is a healthy place. And that's something you need to assess for yourself. And one big red flag is if you're stressing about making this decision and it's tied up into all this like guilt or shame or food rules or having to eat a certain way, that's probably a good clue that for you, that decision right now is coming from a disordered place versus if you're like excited or it's fun for you or it's gonna feel good it's about just you know caring for yourself as long as you're not going into like these extreme places and it's feeling good and it's feeling like ease then it's not disordered for you you see the yeah. difference like it's, it's yeah it's it's about awareness really that's what you're yeah. sounds like that's what you're saying just being aware mindset. of where it's coming from your mindset yeah, yeah 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 I love that yeah if you had one message to give over to the next generation of women what would that message be Ooh, I feel like since we're talking about diet culture and, and food and all of that, like having that be in alignment. Cause I have so many messages. Oh my God, I'll write, I'll write a book. Um, but I think that the next generation of, of women really starts with the current generation of women um, and breaking cycles. And that starts with you and it's not too late. You know, if you're someone who struggled with food and a body image, I, I think I, what I see a lot of is that when people when women become moms that's when it hits them that I don't want to pass on this like insanity of diet culture to my kids like I need to actually like they you know they might not result and it's not true it's not true for everyone like I work with plenty of women who don't have kids who want to change it for themselves like you don't have to have kids to do this right like I don't want to make it like a mom thing versus not a mom thing um but what I see so often in women wanting to to break the cycle break the generational cycle and so I think the next generation of women is really not us, it's our kids. And in order to change that next generation, it starts with the current generation, which is us, knowing that it's not too late, knowing that we could give our kids better and starting with your own healing. And you still, you know, some, some women feel like, oh my God, if I'm not like totally healed with my relationship with food, I'm messing up my kids. No, you're still ahead of the game. If you recognize that all these things are disordered and you don't pass it on, even if even though you have something you're struggling with. But I think the first step is recognizing that the next generation of women and how they turn out starts with yourself. And I think that as scary as it is, honestly, like I'm just thinking as a mom, like it's like, that's a lot of responsibility. It's also very empowering because we can, we get to change the narrative from, you know, our own struggles. There can be a light to that and saying, hey, I'm going to do things differently and I'm going to work through my own struggles because my kids deserve better because the next generation, which is really the next generation that deserves better. And if you don't have kids, it can be, you know, just a child that, you know, I think there's just something so magical and innocent about children, whether it's like your God kid or a niece or something, it's like, they just, they're so innocent. You're like, they deserve better, right? We don't want them to yeah. go through our struggles. I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll have to go through their own struggles, obviously in yeah. life to, you know, become adults. It's just, it's just a right of, 
passage, yeah. passage yeah. right? Right of passage. It's, right. Passage. it's inevitable that's going to happen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But we, but we definitely don't have to add a layer of struggle when it comes to food and body image. And it really starts with, with us and let that be, you know, if you can't do it for yourself, sometimes it's hard to do it for yourself. Um, then do it for somebody you love, whether yeah, it's yeah. your own child or your niece or nephew, or, you know, even a teenager that, you know, you know, for find sure, something sure. beyond yourself if, you, if it's hard for you to do it for yourself. That's great advice because that's going to help a lot of women. You know, it, it's unfortunately, it's hard for some people to work a, to, to do it for themselves. So if they could think of someone else, then that, that's a great idea. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you? Well, I hang out a lot on Instagram. So you go to at dietitian.rachelgoodman. Um, my website, rachelgoodman.com, where I have like so many resources. Um, and I'll share the link with you. If you're looking for a place to start to heal your relationship with food, I have a free guide called Three Steps to Stop Feeling Out of Control with Food, which really gives you the three essential steps to stop feeling out of control with food. Very, very straightforward. Um, and you can write in it. And I'll, I'll send you the link. You can find it on my website. I'll give it to Nahami. Um, I also have an online course, Living Free, that like, if you want to take it one step further, it really deep dives, gives you like really the, you know, the framework that I teach my clients is what I've really built in to this program. And you can find it on my website, rachelgoodnutrition.com forward slash program. And I don't know if you have like professionals or like providers or people, you know, to other dietitians who listen to this, but I also mentor professionals um, and help them coach their clients with confidence in this space with intuitive eating. And I have a free training for them also um, if they're looking to boost their confidence in doing that and having more clarity to kind of change lives in a way that feels aligned. Cause I know that when I first started, it is so different than the diet world. And, you know, in diet culture, it, it's so attractive because it's like do X, Y, Z and you'll have ABC results. And, yeah, yeah. you know, we're so attracted where intuitive eating, it almost feels like so foreign when you're first starting, not just as a client, but as a professional. So I've created this, um, free training for anyone who kind of wants to feel more confidence and clarity and how to guide a client through things so I'll share that training with you um and really there's just like other go go to my website rachelgoodnutrition.com I feel like you'll find otherwise I'll start listening yeah, yeah. to podcast more than what you eat we talk about all these topics different you know body image so there's just like a lot of resources and if you go to like hang out on Instagram because that's like my favorite place I think this is where we connected on yeah Instagram, yeah right um, and, and for, you know, further help, definitely my website, rachelgoodnutrition.com kind of covers it all. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Rachel, for joining me today and sharing your story and advice. Um, this is going to be great for our listeners. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. That's all for tonight. Thanks so much for listening. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Carmela Cosmetics. That's Carmela with a K and on our website, carmelacosmetics.com. If there's a woman in your life whose story needs to be heard, send me a message to let me know who she is and why she means so much to you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know your thoughts. We want you to feel heard. 